Good morning, everyone. Am I wired for sound? You can hear me. Good. Excellent. So we're continuing our series today, our pre-Christmas series, looking at different characters um, that related to the Christmas story and how the Holy Spirit worked in their lives. And Gary, I want to say thank you for posing for that picture. <laughs> It's good to be involved in all sorts of areas. <laughs> Sorry, Gary. Um, but before we get into that, I thought we're a family, it's Christmas, we should probably play a game. Does that sound like a good idea? Now, some of you may remember the game that we played this time last year and the fact that my dear wife nearly blinded somebody as she was a bit exuberant giving out the prizes. So I think it's probably a bit safer if you come, grab a microphone and actually do the questions and I'll take a, uh, I'll take a more considered approach to giving out the prizes. How does that sound? Go for it. Right. So, I, I'm thinking you might gather a theme as these questions go. But the first question, what is the average weight between making a groundbreaking discovery and winning a Nobel Prize? 25. We've got 25 over here. We've got 20. Sorry? Okay, we've got a few prizes to give out here. Don, do you have one? <laughs> no. <laughs> what was the answer? <laughs> okay. Um, the answer is actually around 20 years. Did anybody else um, say 20 to 25 years? Can I get a prize for 10? Oh, go on, you get a prize for 10. A bit longer if you're a physicist. Okay. Shall we move on? Question two. How many days did Japanese captain Oguri Chukichi oh, and his crew need to wait for rescue when his ship was damaged and adrift in the Pacific in 1813? Let's go for days, in days. Sorry, Kim. You're the, you're the closest. Thank you. So the answer is 484 days. Anybody else say over 400? Um, oh, you said 500. Oh, you were closest. The, the crew survived on a cargo of soybeans, apparently. Um, and only 12 died, but that was of scurvy. Facts. Um, question three. <laughs> How long did Tony Collins need to wait on a trolley in Princess Margaret Hospital, Swindon, in 2001 before being admitted to a bed? 484 days. <laughs> <laughs> Two days. 
We had a three days round. What were you? Three days. Three days. So the answer is 77 hours and 30 minutes. Anybody else say over three days? <laughs> Anne. <laughs> okay, next one's on a bit of a lighter note. Question four, how long did Peter Durand have to wait for his beans on toast? <laughs> Slightly cryptic one, this. Anybody know who Peter Durand is? Anybody know what he invented? No. Yeah. He invented the tin so can. He invented, he invented the tin can, but he had to wait. That's right, for a can opener. So how long did he have to wait for a can opener? How long? Who said can opener? <laughs> We've got 10 years over here. Yeah. Who said 10 years? Yeah, you're the closest so far. Longer. It's longer. You're the closest so far. You're the closest so far, longer. 17. Good, I just wanted one. Oh, what, what? No. Oh, who said 45? 45. Oh, you are so close. The answer is actually, 48 years between, yes, inventing the tin can and then Ezra Warner invented the opener. <laughs> now, finally, last question. How long did Janet Barrett of Weymouth need to wait for an RSVP to a Boxing Day party in 1919? And this was from the Guinness Book of World Records. We've, We've got, got 50, 50 years over here. We've got 50 and 31. Anybody? Any advances on 50? We've got a 75 somewhere. We've got a 75. 76. 76. You're the closest so far. Who said 60? No, 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 not quite, but you... We've got an 82. 85 years we've got over here. I think 85 is the closest we're going to get. So the answer is 89. Oh. Um, before it was delivered, it arrived in 2008. Thank you, Catherine. Thank That's all right, Matt. <laughs> Sounds like I've got a slightly loose connection. Right, so what was the theme of that Christmas quiz? Waiting, well done, you're on the ball today. So today we're going to look at two people in the New Testament who were really good at waiting. And those two people were Simeon and Anna. And have to say, they probably put Janet Barrett of Weymouth and certainly Peter Durand to shame. So we're going to read from Luke 3. 
No, Luke 2, not Luke 3. Luke 2, 25 to 28. To 38. I get my twos and threes mixed up today. Thank you. It's because I haven't had a chocolate. That's what it is. So I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. The prophecy of Simeon. At that time, and this was when Jesus was a little baby, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Other versions say he was filled with the Holy Spirit and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I've seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they'd been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it teaches us. We thank you that it strengthens us. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge us today. I pray that you would show your love to us through this passage. Show your plan to us through this passage, I pray, Lord, and give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So in this passage, we meet two people for us to admire and for us to imitate. Both Simeon and Anna were advanced in years and they'd seen a lot in life. In the midst of a hostile environment, we're talking about the Roman occupation, a tyrannical puppet king. We're talking about spiritual leaders who are more interested in people's admiration than giving glory to God. Verse 25 tells us that Simeon remained righteous and devout. Now, this didn't mean he was just good at keeping the rules, at keeping the law. This means he was right with God in both his heart and in his actions. In other words, he did what was right because he knew God and he knew who he was before God. 
Verse 25 also tells us that Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit. 27 tells us that he listened to the Spirit's leading. Simeon knew that no matter how barren, no matter how bleak the situation looked, that God was there. And no matter how alone he felt, no matter how dysfunctional society became, God had promised to send his Messiah to bring restoration and to bring peace. Now, both Simeon and Anna held on to the truth of Scripture for a very long time. And they held on to this not as abstract information or as an intellectual exercise, but in a way that fundamentally affected who they were. The choices they made the priorities that they had. Simeon and Anna are real heroes of faith, aren't they? They're people for us to admire because unlike the religious leaders of the time, they weren't looking for admiration. They're people to imitate because they were people of real integrity. And even though they'd been about a bit, they were old in years, They never gave up. I think it's really important that we imitate Simeon and Anna because our society, let's face it, is just as dysfunctional as first century Jerusalem. We too live in a superficial, in a self-serving culture that's hostile to God's ways, where it's too easy to see what's wrong with things than actually to be able to rejoice in what is right. A society where we see hatred instead of unity, where we see brokenness instead of wholeness, and where we see people held captive by fear, where there should be freedom. It's against this kind of backdrop that verse 25 tells us that Simeon was holding firm to God's promise that he was sending his Messiah to save his people. He was eagerly awaiting that promised king who would return Israel to glory, to free its people, and through whom not only the Jewish people would be blessed, but all nations of the world would be blessed. So in spite of his situation, Simeon was expectant. Actually, we've heard a little bit about being expectant this morning already, haven't we? That expectation set the direction of Simeon's life. And Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit. And remember, this was before Pentecost. So I think it's fair to say that Simeon was really on the front foot with everything that God was doing. He was showing amazing leadership in what he was doing. And because he was filled with the Holy Spirit and because he had God's perspective, he was able to look past his circumstances and trust God. Now, as I've said, the Jewish people were living under that promise that God was going to send his Messiah, a king who was going to free his people. And Simeon himself was living under personal promises that we read in that passage, that he wouldn't die until he had seen that Messiah. 
So Simeon heard both that corporate promise and that personal promise, and he held on to both of them. We're living under God's promises too, aren't we? We're living under promises here in the Bible that God's going to build his church, that if we ask for anything in his name, we'll receive it, and that all things work together for the good of those that love God. Many other promises besides. And we're living under promises for us as a church as well. A promise of revival. A promise that God wants to do a new thing in our church and spill out into this town, into this country, and right across this continent. And just like, you may, am I? Let me just get this. Have a little fill, see what we can do. Seems fairly. All right. Is that better? Good. So just like Simeon, you may well be living under promises for your life as well. Maybe you believe that God has told you that a friend or a family member will be healed or saved. Or that God's going to break into a really difficult situation that you face at the moment. Maybe God's told you that you're going to step into a new area of gifting or a new ministry and you're having trouble working that out and actually seeing the reality of that. Just like Simeon held on to the promise he was given, and just like he was expectant that he would see it fulfilled, we need to be expectant. Not just for the corporate promises that we read in the Bible, but for those that have been given to us as a church, and those that have been given to you personally. We need to be expectant that they'll be fulfilled. And actually, the longer you wait, that can be really hard. We can only do this if we imitate Simeon. So if you're in that situation today, and I would guess that probably a lot of us are, I would really encourage you to take a long, hard look at how Simeon dealt with this situation. We need to be filled with the Spirit and make sure that we look at things through God's perspective and not our own. Now, being expectant, as wonderful as that picture is, is only part of the story. Simeon didn't just receive a promise and then sit back expecting God to fulfill it. He was also engaged. Now, one area where most of us need to be really engaged and really focused is when we're driving. And I don't know about you, but I see lots of examples when I'm out on the road of people not necessarily being engaged and understanding what it is they should be doing. And one of my pet peeves when I'm driving, I have to confess, is fog lights. People not knowing what fog lights are and how to use them. Now, the clue is in the name, okay? These are fog lights. They are not light morning mist lights. 
They're not a little bit of drizzle lights. They're not, I've got a smear on the inside of my windscreen, and because of that, I think people can't see me lights. They're fog lights. And if you've read the sacred text of the highway code, you will know when you should put your fog lights on. Anybody know when you should put your fog lights on? Another quiz. When it's foggy, yes. When visibility falls below 100 meters. Can we get some sweets down the back, please, Catherine? And some over here, too, yeah. 100 meters, okay? Now, and especially, actually, if you put your fog lights on when it's raining, you've got to be aware that the light is scattered by the rain and it dazzles the people behind you. So, if you take one thing from today, <laughs> please think before you press. I've had cars for three or four years and I've never used the. F anyway, sorry. <laughs> Where's what? Right, what was I supposed to be saying? Um, engage, thank you, yes. It's too easy to get distracted, isn't it, Ginny? The other thing that I find amusing when I'm driving is when you're at a set of traffic lights, we're back on track. Traffic lights, right? You're sitting there, there's a car in front of you, and the lights are red. And then the lights go green, and the car in front of you doesn't move. Because they're thinking about something else. They're thinking about what they're having for dinner, or they're playing with the radio, or they're just staring into space. When that happens, you've got to be careful how you use your horn, okay? <laughs> Don't give a long blast, because that's too aggressive. You need to give a little friendly, encouraging beep, okay? That's my tip to you today. Not a long but just a little beep. And that will just encourage the person enough to see the lights have changed and to move on. See, the funny thing is, that driver is expecting the lights to change. That's why they're sitting there, waiting. But they've disengaged. They've not noticed that the lights have changed. And as a result, if you weren't there to give them a little bit of encouragement, they've missed the opportunity to move. And I wonder how long some of these people sit there. Missing the opportunity and going nowhere. There's a point to all this. You see, Simeon was engaged and he was active in his desire to see God's promise fulfilled. He didn't sit at home with a cup of tea waiting for the Messiah to knock on his door. Simeon knew that seeing the prophecy fulfilled actually needed action on his part. So he stayed engaged. He obeyed the Holy Spirit's prompting to go to the temple and to actively seek out God's chosen one. Now we too, all of us, have an active part to play if we're to see God's promises over his church fulfilled. You have an active role to play to see God's promises over your life fulfilled. We need to obey the Spirit's prompting. We need to not get complacent. 
We need to keep meeting together. We need to be ruthless with sin in our lives. And we need to be constantly asking to be filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. Because if we're not engaged, we'll still be sitting at the traffic lights once they've turned green. We'll be filled with disappointment and bitterness that God is seemingly absent, even though he's there all along. And while we're doing that waiting, it's important that we keep an open mind. Don't assume that God is going to fulfill his promises to you in the way that you think he should. See, many of the devout people at the temple in Jerusalem were looking for a certain type of Messiah. They were looking for a powerful king who's going to throw the Roman occupation out, who was going to conquer in the same way that his ancestor David conquered. But because Simeon was engaged, because he was listening to the Holy Spirit, he recognised that this little baby from Nazareth, who was born in a stable, was actually the fulfilment of God's promise. So we all need to keep an open mind. We all need to focus on him rather than on how you want him to fix certain problems in our world or in your life. So Simeon was expectant, he was engaged, and he was also encouraging. It's a theme there as well, isn't there? When Simeon saw this baby, when he finally saw God's chosen Messiah, he rejoiced. He gave glory to God. And he encouraged not only Mary and Joseph, but also Anna to do the same. Simeon shared with Mary and Joseph that their child would be a light to reveal God to the nations and that he was God's glory. He told Mary that although her child would be rejected, he would be the greatest joy to many others. I wonder how much comfort and encouragement those words gave Mary when she saw the terrible things that her son endured when he became a man. I don't think any of those words were wasted. Verse 38 tells us that Anna came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. And when she saw and heard what was happening, she too was full of encouragement, talking about Jesus to everyone who'd been waiting for the promised king to arrive and rescue Jerusalem. Encourage one another, encouraging one another and spurring each other on is so important. It's actually a major part of why we're here as a family. Sharing stories of God breaking into difficult situations and stories of God's provision help us to do just that. Now, I'm not talking about ignoring struggles. I'm not talking about ignoring things that are bad that are happening and pretending that we only face blessings. You'll notice that Simeon didn't airbrush his prophecy. He was completely open, honest, realistic about the difficult times that were ahead for this young family. But as we see God on the move, 
We need to share our experiences so that we can be an encouragement to each other. As we see in this passage, encouragement snowballs. Encouragement has long-term consequences. Simeon encouraged Mary and Joseph. Anna encouraged anyone who would listen that the long wait for the Messiah was over. And we need to model that encouragement as a church. We need to, be make, we need to make sure, especially that the older generation are encouraging the younger generation, and vice versa as well. So you see, God's promises being fulfilled is something to celebrate. It's something to encourage one another with. So as you see healing, as you see his guiding, as you see putting, people putting their trust in Jesus, as you know the transformative power of Jesus in your life or in the lives of others, share it with others. These stories build faith. They encourage us to persevere and to hold on to all the promises of God. And as I've just said, those of us who've been Christians for a long time have a really important job in this. Because hopefully, we've seen more of God's promises fulfilled as we've journeyed through life. So we have the amazing privilege of not only being expectant and engaged, but also on the front foot, encouraging those who are younger in the faith. So I'm talking to those who are my age, maybe a little bit older, going all the way up. This isn't something we can leave to the youngsters. There's something significant here for those of us who are more mature to model. And actually, I see so many examples of this in our church. And the times that I've been encouraged and we've been encouraged as a family, I think it's fair to say that every single time that's been from somebody who's been older than me and who's been able to step in and actually encourage us to start that encouragement snowball, if you like. So whatever your age, don't count yourself out of this. To those who've given me encouragement and encouraged others, I just want to say thank you and keep it up. If you feel like you've clocked out, I want to encourage you to clock back in again because there are still more adventures for you to have and more encouragement that you can bring. And whatever age you are, as God calls us forwards, I don't want All Nations Church to be sitting at the traffic lights, staring into space. I want us to be like Simeon, like Anna. I want us to be people who are expectant, engaged, encouraging, and actually a fourthy, enjoying ourselves. This isn't about beating ourselves up. This isn't about having to strive in our own strength. This is about being everything that we can be as God's church together. And there is no greater enjoyment than that. So let's do that so that we can step into everything that God has for us as individuals and for us as a church. Can I ask you to stand if you're able to, please? And band, would you like to...
Come up, please. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and we're going to spend a little time worshipping. Our wonderful response team will be down the front here. As I said earlier, our church is full of Simeons and Annas. Actually, Simeons and Annas of all ages. We all need to be Simeons and Annas. And I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we're going to spend some time worshipping. And actually, if you know that you've got business that you need to do with God, then I would just encourage you to come to the front to the response team. They would love to pray with you. There are more things we need to step into as a church. And this is for all of us. So, dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are God. We thank you that you are the fulfillment of the Father's plans. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you've put us in a family where we can be expectant and engaged and encouraged and no enjoyment. Lord, I pray that you would help us to model this. I pray you'd help us to step into more of what you have for us. Father God, I pray for those of us who are struggling with waiting. Pray for those of us who just feel as though our faith has been battered. Lord, I pray for courage. I pray that you would fill us afresh with your spirit, Lord. I pray for a fresh sense of expectation of everything that you're doing amongst us. I pray, Lord, that where we've slipped into neutral, where we're no longer engaged, Lord, please wake us up. And Lord, I pray that where we feel as though we've clocked out and we're no longer being an encouragement, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to clock back in. Thank you, God, that there is only restoration with you. So move us on as a church, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. really feel so strongly that there are some here who've had promises spoken over their lives and they've not yet seen the fulfillment of those things and some of you have almost given up believing that this will ever happen and I just want to invite you right now to come to the front I just feel this is a moment of reignition of those promises and if that's you just come on right now I let's not be a passive I know there are some here who are living with the promises of God unfulfilled. And this morning, as Matt has just spoken about Simon and Anna, I just really feel there's faith being reignited in your heart. I just want to invite you to come as we come and worship. Come on, there are some of you here who are just hiding away. Come on, you can come right now. 
come and stand here. We want to pray for those. Yes, there are. Come on, let's not be shy. We're a family here. This is about igniting the purposes and the promises of God. There are many here who've had promises spoken over them and you're, you're just frustrated that they haven't been fulfilled. Come on, just come and stand right now. Come on, engage. That's what Matt was talking about, engage. You're not at the traffic lights. You're not just waiting for it to happen. Just come and engage. Praise God. Praise God. Yeah, there's still more. There's still more. I, I can't believe in a congregation of our size that we're just a bunch of passive people just killing time before we go to glory. I really can't believe that. Holy Spirit, right now, we just first of all say to you, come and blow powerfully. Come and blow powerfully over every life, every heart right now that's responding in faith to your words that we've heard this morning. Lord, I, I want to say right now, Lord, forgive us when we have allowed disappointment and maybe despondency to take over, where we've almost given up. Lord, we confess that to you. And we say we are so sorry that we have almost let those promises slip out of our hands. But Lord, right now, will you put them back in with fire in our hearts? Will you stir those promises again inside each one of us? And Lord, we just want to pray for us as a church, as you've spoken words of revival over us and over our town and over our nation. Lord, engage us again with those words. Lord, let us be stirred in our hearts. Let us be stirred to believe these words and step in again full of faith. Lord, will you, will you heal? Will you heal wounded hearts? disappointed lives just come this morning will you just release a fresh wave of your Holy Spirit this morning into every heart standing here before you just thank you again thank you again for those words of life thank you again for those words of life speak life speak life Lord speak life into every heart just ignite it right now thank you Jesus Thank you. And I pray, Lord, that we would, we would step out now, full of faith, trusting you. Let's just worship as we just minister. Let's just finish on that note of worship as Matt has encouraged us to do this morning.